Good morning. Welcome to Milestone McKinney. As Alex said, I want to welcome all of our first-time guests. We know each and every weekend it's someone's first time, and that's a big deal to us. And if I hadn't had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, I'm going to dive right in. We are in a series called Promises. And last week we laid a foundation that God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God, and that he makes promises to us. And how, how do we... Uh, access that. And the truth is that when we do, we can recognize and see that God can be trusted. Why? How do we know that? Because when I look back at God's track record, he shows that he can be trusted. And so when we live life that way, we can trust and obey. This week, I want to lay, I want to build on that foundation and, and really start to build on what it looks like when we begin to walk in these promises at a deeper and greater level. Open up your Bibles, Genesis chapter 15. Verse 1, uh, and then what we're going to do is we're going to look at Romans chapter 4, verse 16. So Genesis 15, we'll go there first, and then we'll get to Romans chapter 4. But, uh, you know, if you're new to Milestone, we love taking steps like this. It, it's moments like this that are so significant. Here's why. Because I found that when we take steps like this in this kind of journey, this spiritual journey that we're on, we all grow. Can I tell you, we never outgrow growing in our faith. We never outgrow growing in our relationship with God. There's always steps that we can take. And I'll just be honest, I get really excited about it. You know, I feel like it's the spiritual gift of persistence, okay? My kids like to call it, I just beat a dead horse and just go over and over and over. Maybe some of you parents in here have that same spiritual gift, okay? It's a spiritual gift. And you may go, we heard it, we heard it. I'm just telling you, it really is. It's grab a guy, attend the services, get in a group. We have found that when we take these journeys together, something significant happens and it grows in our life. In fact, I want to encourage you, you can take out your phone. I'm going to put a QR code up here. Now, you may be going, well, why are we doing that? I want to make it real easy for you to access anything and everything when it comes to promises. I also want to point out that when you click on here, just take out your camera. You can click on there. It's going to take you to a page. You can get anything and everything you need for promises. Here's why that's also significant. You may know a loved one that would love to be a part of this. You can actually send them a link. They can download a digital guide. You can send them to a specific spot on the website. They can actually order and request a guide. We'll mail one to, you, to them. Why? Because we believe that as we journey through this together, God's going to do something significant and we're going to see things happen in our life. So we built on this foundation last week and, and we recognize, okay, God, we trust you. It, we trust and obey. And when you look again at God's track record, when I read this word, when I look in my own life, I can look back and see how he's been faithful on his promises. I also have a unique vantage point. There's a lot of great things and some challenging things that come along with pastoring. But can I tell you what I love the most is when I get to see you and how God's been faithful in your life. How you're believing for God to work and move in your life and in your marriage and in your family and your kids. And he begins to do that. And it's encouraging. So I can look back and say, God's got a pretty good track record. He will do what he said he will do. And so this week, I want to talk about something that I think sometimes is often overlooked. 
I don't think we really realize how significant it is in our walk with Christ, how significant it is in being able to take on and apply God's promises to our life. And sometimes we not only overlook it, but we actually don't even access it and utilize it. But today, I want to help us begin to do that. Here's why. Because at my heart of hearts, I want to see you win. Uh, why do I get passionate about it? Why do I go just be persistent? Because I see what happens when you take steps and you grow in your relationship with God. Because what if you'll get today what I pray will be imparted to you today, you're going to have a moment in your life. We all will. You're going to have it in your health. You're going to have it in your marriage. You're going to have it with your children. And you're going to know what to stand on when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. So uh, last week I shared with you, I said, what was the most like significant promise you ever made? Think about it. I talked about marriage and, and, and uh, used the, the example of marriage and promise. And, and so I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about Wendy. And, and yesterday we were kind of straightening some stuff up. And, you know, it's the new year. So you may be dialed into like spring cleaning. I, to be honest, I don't need spring cleaning to get rid of stuff. I just get rid of stuff. But as I've shared with you in full transparency, uh, Wendy has a spiritual gift. I, mine is persistence. She has a spiritual gift of piles. We got piles, all sorts of piles. So she's, we had accumulated a few piles in our bedroom. So she decided to go through these piles. I'm just going to show you. Just track along. She comes out of the bedroom. I'm in the kitchen. I, I, I'm working on something out in the living room. And she goes, babe, do you know how much we made when we first got married? I said, I do. I remember. She said, I found a check stub that showed how much. I said, case in point. I don't know how a check stub from 20 years ago ended up in a pile in our bedroom 20 years later, okay? But there, case in point, there it is. So she told me, and I'll just be honest, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot of money. But they also, I'm young and in ministry, they also paid for our housing, okay? So some of you may have grown up around church, and, and at times there was a season where uh, the pastors uh, would get a parsonage. It was like a house attached to the church. This building, it's, it was built in the early 80s, long before we were ever here as Ever Milestone, had a parsonage. We now have turned it into our offices, but the parsonage, like, like the phone to the church rang inside the parsonage. So you're like, you know, do I answer? Like, what do I do here? Well, they didn't have parsonages where we were at, and so they just paid for our apartment. How many of you remember your first apartment? I mean, ours was massive, 600 square feet of just sprawling space everywhere. I mean, you're like, I got a 600 square foot closet now. You know, it's like, it's like, I mean, when we're just, but I remember you fast forward, it's about a year after we were married and we moved to Lafayette, Louisiana. And about two years later, we bought our first home. We were 27 years old. I was 27 years old. Uh, Wendy was 29, I think, at the time. She's a cougar, all right, you know, it's all right. So... She's a little older, so she's a little, that's probably why they said, we'll let you buy a house, you know, like, you know, <laughs> take your, 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 you know, co-signing. You're like, okay, you have an adult with you. Yeah, I don't know about you. <laughs> so we'll buy this house, right? Sign on the dotted line, and I remember I'm so nervous about buying my first home. Like this contract, I'm like, what in the world? And I was just like, I'm just, Lord, I hope I can pay this bill. I just, I can imagine, like, I can't make the bill. They come, eventually me, all my stuff's out on the front lawn, I'm going to be that guy in the neighborhood, right? It's like, but you think about contract. 
And then you think about promise. Why are we talking about promises? Because typically when you think about a promise, that's probably the easiest way we know how to relate to the way God works. What we talked about last week was the biblical word for promise is covenant. That we have this promise-making, promise-keeping God, that he is a covenantal God. Well, what does the word covenant mean? Here's what the word covenant means. When you look at the word covenant, it means a relational agreement. So right there, you're starting off. It's relational. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to engage with you in a relational way. A partnership towards a specific purpose treated with the utmost commitment and respect. Now, here's the unique thing. Contracts, and whether it's buying your first home or whatever it may be, contract is typically how we think about our arrangement and engagement with other people. We don't naturally think covenant. There's a contrast between the two. You see, the basis and the root of a contract is negotiation. Two parties negotiating that they both feel like they got the best end of the deal. Here's the thing about covenant. Covenant is the stronger individual, the, the person with the stronger position saying, I, I don't need to negotiate. Because actually what I want to do is I don't need anything from you. I have something I want to give to you. You see, when you're in a covenant, God is the stronger person in the relationship. He is the one coming from a point of strength. And he's going, I don't want or need anything from you. But I know what you need. And I want to give you more. I want to give you what's best. And so we have this covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And what we're going to talk about today is I shared with you last week, there's about eight primary covenants in the Bible. We're going to talk about probably the main one, the one you actually may be more familiar with that you don't even realize. It's called the Abraham Covenant. It's kind of the umbrella covenant that kind of applies to all of us. We all are able to fall under it. Everyone has access to the Abraham Covenant covenant. And so we're going to look at the origin. We're going to look at Genesis 15. I'm going to give you the context to set up where we're going when Paul writes in Romans later on. So Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, just so you know, some of you may be familiar his name is Abraham. That typically is uh, how you may know him. And, and obviously, I just got done saying the Abraham covenant. His original name was Abram. When he comes into a covenant, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. So that's why here, this is just before the covenant happens, but God is setting it up. He's telling him what he's about to do. So that's why his name is Abram here. It says, in this vision, it says, God says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield your very great reward. You see, God has a plan. He, he's going to reward. He's going to protect. He's going to bless you. And what I love about God is he always tends to give a physical symbol or moment to represent this covenant. In fact, if you've seen a rainbow before, a rainbow is actually a sign of a covenant. It was a covenant made with Noah that he would not, God would not flood the earth again. So there was this sign. So this sign that he's about to give Abram, he takes him out, takes him on this mountainside and says, I want you to look into the sky. And do you see the number of stars? We actually read that scripture last week. We, we read this story and this interaction. And so when you look at the stars in the sky, he says, this is the number of offspring you're going to have. 
He says, I'm going to multiply your offspring from generation to generation. It's going to be more than the star. He actually says, can you not count the stars? That's how many will be in your generation. That's how many will uh, be your offspring. And so he gives him this promise. He looks out and you see all of these stars. Now you may go, well, that's great for, for Abraham. I, I get it. Well, uh, how does that that, how does that apply to me? Well, what you have to understand and realize is this applies to all of us. God wants to bless you. He wants to reward you. He wants to protect you. He wants to give you children. He wants your generations to multiply. He has a blessing for you. And so the challenge, though, is this. is You hear that and you go, ah, that's too good to be true. I mean, how many of you ever heard something and Sounds too good to be true. Typically, when you hear something that sounds too good to be true, you know what it is? Too good to be true. And so what happens is that's how we interact with God and the things of God. That's too good to be true. A God who loves me, who sees me, who wants to reward me, protect me, and bless me? Too good to be true. That's not true when it comes to God. He holds his promise. He will do what he said he will do. There is a covenant that he makes with you. Because of the covenant that he made with Abraham. And so what we're going to do is we're going to begin to look and see this and how it applies to our life. But what begins to happen is when we begin to operate with, ah, that's too good to be true. I, I don't know if that's actually accurate. Can it be that simple? Like trust God, obey God. He wants to bless me. So where we end up is instead of faith in God's promise, instead of trusting God's covenant, Instead of understanding God's partnership and how great and big God is, here's what we end up with. We end up with unbelief. Why don't more people experience this in their life? Well, it's unbelief because unbelief is the barrier to the promise of God. Now, can I tell you, unbelief, I love, and again, I've shared with you before, if you've been around me, I love to coach, I love to see people win, I want to cheer you on, I want to help you, and look, most of the time, I love, I mean, I love teaching and coaching and, and preaching or speaking on unbelief and how to see God's promises and, and, and the promise he has for your life, but since 2020, it's like on, it's like on overload. It's like all the time talking to people, encouraging people, helping them see in a right perspective how God is working and moving in their life. And it's overwhelming because the truth is it's not easy. It's not easy. And we actually don't have to work really hard to have unbelief. The negativity of our culture feeds our unbelief and it crushes our faith. Uh, scientists know this as well. Psychologists call it negativity bias. Negativity bias. Do you know what that is? Here's what that means. The study, they've done studies that show, psychologists have discovered, you need four positive interactions or moments to counter one negative interaction or moment. You want to know why? Because, ah, oh, it's too good to be true. I can't buy into that. I don't know. So one negative moment, it takes four positive moments to override that. Because we gravitate towards unbelief. We gravitate towards negativity. We have negativity bias and we move towards it. When you look at marketing today, I'm a marketing major. You know what they tell you? You know what they do? It's not like, hey, market this product from the standpoint of if you do this, here's all the benefits. It's no, market this product that if you don't do this, here's all the bad things that are going to happen to you. 
It's all fear because culture knows we're going to gravitate towards negativity. We're going to gravitate towards fear. We're going to gravitate towards anxiety and worry. And so what's happening here is we look at Romans chapter 4, verse 16. This is where Genesis 15 comes into the New Testament. Remember, this word right here, it's not just simply written. We talked about how Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant, but it's written as a whole. So Genesis 15 and that promise, that covenant to Abraham comes into the New Testament right here in Romans chapter 4. Paul's writing, it's an exhaustive, long letter about the truth of God, about the truth of who Jesus is and the power of his word in our life. It's the most systematic letter that he actually ever wrote. It's this, and he wrote this letter to the church in Rome. He really probably wanted to visit, but he wasn't able to. So he wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to the church. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 16. It says, therefore, the promise comes by faith. Look. We have a propensity and a bend towards negativity. So what's the antidote? Faith. We have a bend towards negativity. What is the, it's faith is the antidote to the negativity. It says, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. There is a guarantee. That's why in the tagline of the series, it's a guarantee for tomorrow. So there's faith, but how do we access those promises? We only access the promise through faith. Verse 17, Paul continues and he says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. You see, there's this understanding. Paul's writing and he's saying, Abraham has this understanding of what God had said, what he is saying, what he is doing. So he fathoms what is happening. And Abram, listen, Abraham is like us. He had every reason not to believe. He had every reason to back down. He had every reason to step back, yet he overcame. You say, well, well what are you talking about, Pastor Chris? Some of you don't realize the season of life that Abraham was in. Some of you don't realize what Abraham had experienced. So Paul helps the church in Rome, and he helps us by describing what's going on. Watch what happens, verse 19. So without weakening in his faith... He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Here he is. See, some people say, well, faith, I mean, you know, that's just, you're just living blind. You're not giving reference to the facts. What about the facts? I like the facts. Show me the facts. I just tell it how it is. Hey, look, we like the facts. But once we have the facts, tell me what to do with it. Can I tell you, oftentimes if you find yourself bending that way, well, I just give me the facts. I'm all about the facts. I tell you how it is. Can I tell you, that's an on-road to negativity. That's really what it leads you to. Because here's what's happening. Abraham didn't deny the facts. He's like, 
I'm 100 years old. You're telling me I'm going to have a child? I'm 100. How many in here, you're over 50, and you found out your wife was pregnant, you'd be like, oh, my God, what are we doing? He's 100 years old. He's like, Sarah, I mean, I love her. God bless her. Womb, a little dried up. I don't know. He's going, baby? I mean, really? He didn't deny the facts. You see, here's what God's looking for. He's looking for someone that will look past the facts and say, I can see what God can do. You see, just because something is factual doesn't mean it's impossible. There's a lot of facts in our life. There's a lot of facts in our nation, a lot of facts in our situation and circumstance, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. So look, I'm going to acknowledge the facts. I like it. Give me the fact. I like facts. Numbers don't lie. Some of you are very analytical. They'll show you. But what did he do? He didn't weaken in his faith. He said, I'm acknowledging what's going on. Verse 20, it says, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power, here it is, to do what he said he had promised. You see, he was strengthened in his faith. You, you, you can either waver or you can be strengthened. What I love about Abraham is he wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. If you know anything about Abraham, there were times where he took things into his own hands. He, tried to, he did what many of us do. Okay, God said it, but, I, you know, I don't know. Is it really going to happen? You live life. I shared with you last week. I met someone who said, I can't trust anybody. And that's what many of us do. We've been hurt. We've been lied to. We've been stabbed in the back, and we live life going, I can't trust anybody. So we go, I got it. I got it. I'll take it into my own hands. You, you read the Bible. You do your devotion. You come, watch promises, or listen to promises, fill everything out. But internally, what you're still doing is, I got it. I got it. I'll handle it. I'll take care of it. Because we don't trust. We don't trust. So we take it into our own hands. So what I love about Abraham is he wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. There were moments in his life he took things into his own hands. And there was consequences on the back end of it. But can I tell you what he did? He just kept moving forward. I'm going to keep you. Here's the great thing. You can be strengthened in your faith. You can keep growing. You can keep being strengthened. You can grow in your faith in your relationship with God. And what happens? It says that he was fully persuaded. Because he kept taking steps forward, can I tell you what happened? He was fully persuaded. There was a guarantee. God will do what he said he promised he would do. Period. He did it. Now, now I want to help you here because here's what we have to realize. When you read the rest of chapter 4, it's all about pointing to Jesus. It's all about the promise we have in Jesus. In fact, when you read Romans 4, it's all about the promise we have in Jesus. Romans 3 is all about how all of us come up short. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we need hope, hope in a man named Jesus. Now, why is this important? Why was it so significant that Abraham had a child? You're like, what's the big deal? Here's why. I want to help you see Jesus in the story of Abraham. You see, Adam in Genesis was the first Adam. Sin came into the world. So now Adam has the seed of sin in him. And he passes that seed along. Like a genetic code, it's a spiritual code that's passed on. Well, what ends up happening is God needs to come and redeem his people. 
So he sends Abraham. Jesus becomes the second Adam. Now our hope is in him. Well, where does that come from? That comes from Abraham. So the hope that we have, the promise of a new covenant is found in Jesus. That the old seed is gone. The old covenant is gone. Jesus comes. He is now the new seed, the new covenant that comes from the line of Abraham. And so now we understand and recognize our hope isn't in Abraham. He's just simply a model, an example that God's word uses to help us understand. But our hope is in Jesus. It's in Jesus. That's why this is significant because we needed Jesus. We need him. He is our hope. And so when we see that, we have hope for a future and we have hope in this new covenant. But here's why that's hard. Trust and unbelief. Trust and unbelief. See, here's the thing about unbelief. Unbelief comes in like a storm. You ever been outdoors? You ever been hiking? I like to backcountry hike. When a storm rolls in and you're backcountry hiking, there's no, oh, go get in your car. There's no, oh, go find shelter and get, in the, get inside. It's like you got to hunker down. And when, whenever a storm rolls up on you, it's overwhelming. Can I tell you that's what unbelief is like? It rolls in like a storm. And there's a couple of reasons why it rolls in. And there's a couple of reasons it fuel this unbelief. First is this. There's many things, honestly, but here's just a few accusing lies from the enemy. Maybe you're like, Abraham, you made a mistake, but here's what the enemy tells you. Your sin is who you are. What you did is who you are. It's called shame. It's not true. Or, or, or perhaps it's fearful thoughts. They overwhelm you. You freeze up. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, sound mind. So fear comes in and you're overwhelmed by it, unbelief. And then what does it do? It tends to fuel our own negative words. You start becoming afraid of something that may not even happen. And you just speak it and talk it and talk it. And you know what? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The very thing. I don't know. I don't believe. I don't know. And you just, the words are powerful. So your own negative words are just simply fueling that unbelief. Or maybe it's the curses from people. Well, what do you mean by that? I, I mean, cursors like word curses, things that people spoke over you, people that should have loved you and protected you and guarded you and should have brought definition to you and encouragement to you. They spoke ill of you and beat you down. And it's like a word curse and it just fuels that unbelief. Or maybe it's pain from past experiences. But I'm telling you, your future doesn't have to be like your past. You don't have to live with unbelief and be overwhelmed with this storm of unbelief that rolls in. I was reminded when we were moving back, about us moving back to, uh, to Texas. Now it'll be, well, I guess right around this time, actually. It's about six years now. And I can remember when we moved back, Wendy, I'm originally from here. Wendy's from New Orleans, but we come back to Texas. Wendy's like, I'm living, I'm going to be living my farm life dreams. I've shared with you. She's like, we're coming back. And she's like, we getting goats. We're getting chickens. We're got, I kid you not. We get in. She's like, Fort Worth, what are the requirements? Oh, I can, have a, I can have a chicken coop in my backyard in this suburban, suburban neighborhood, you know, as long as there's not like eight chickens or something. I don't know. It's like, do, do we get one that's on wheels and you move from one part of the ground? I'm like, what are you talking? This sounds like a lot of work to me. That's what it sounds like to me. How am I going to mow the yard with a chicken coop right there? 
That's what I'm thinking about. She's like, we need it. I mean, it's amazing. You know, it's like all the city folk wanting to live in the city live like they're country folk. You know what I mean? It's like we got chickens and goats. But some of you are like, no, we, we, we are country folk. I want to move out to the country. I'm grateful for some of you because I'll be honest. There's two sides to it. You're like, we're moving out to the country. We got goats and chickens. I'm like, good. I'm sending Winnie and the girls over to your house, you know. The other problem, though, is you, she's just stacking these things against me. She's like, so-and-so got land, so-and-so got a goat, this one got a horse. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, and so you think about this. Well, when Wendy gets dialed into something, she starts doing a lot of research on it, which is helpful in a lot of things, unless it's about farms or it's WebMD, because all of a sudden it's like, oh, my gosh. It's a, you know, I mean, she's, you know, she's kind of, you know, starts prescribing all these things because she's like, you know, this is what we got. So she's telling me about chickens. And the thing about chickens, you know, my kids, you know, they see a little, little chick coming out of the shell. You know, it's kind of cute. Well, they want to go, you know, they want to go help it. Let me peel the, the shell off. But if you know anything about farm life or chickens or development or biology, actually, you, you don't do that. Why? Because there is some significant strength and growth that happens in the process of that struggle. Can I tell you? We're moving back to Texas. I'm 38 years old. I've been in full-time ministry at that point uh, about 17 years. I've been at the church I was at for 13 years. Wendy's thinking about her best farm life days. I'm thinking about, God, what, what are you doing? Like, is this it? Like, I thought I was going to be there forever. Like, I, I'm starting over, and what am I going to do? And, I mean, like, I, I'll be honest. I'm like, I'm, a, I'm about to be 40 and my life is over. I mean, like, I'm a loser. You know, what's going on? And I can remember driving home one night. It was late. I had about a 20-minute drive and I get home and I'm just wrestling with God. Like, God, what are you up to? Really? This is what it's going to be and this is what we're doing? How come? What, what is that? We know. I know. I know what he promised. I know what he called me to. But it's not easy. That, that unbelief storm cloud was trying to roll in. And I can remember... I've been thinking and studying about the story of Abraham and God's covenant promise. And I got home one night and parked my car. And I parked in the driveway. I get out. And it was one of those beautiful Texas nights. We were just enough out in the country where there's not a lot of light. And I look up and you know what I saw? Stars. God reminded me of the story of Abraham. And he spoke so clearly to me. He said, I see you and I know you. That was it. And can I tell you even last night? I was throwing some stuff away last night. I walk outside. I've been thinking about you, thinking about this message, praying for you. I walk out. You know what I see? Stars. And God reminds me. He's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. But we wrestle. So, so how do we overcome that? See, here's the thing we have to recognize. What happens is like that little chicken, that struggle. If you're in, intense, in an intense season right now in your life, can I tell you? That struggle you're going through, just like with that little chicken, that chick coming out of the shell, that struggle that you're going through, that struggle today is strengthening and building your faith for tomorrow. Because God has something great in store for you. But if you're going to live that way, if you're going to access that, we have to realize in order to believe a promise, in order to overcome unbelief, you have to engage and be active. you got to take steps. So how do I build my faith to receive God's promises. How do I build that? What do I do? Here's the first thing. First thing is this. Stay rooted in God's word. Stay rooted in God's word. God's word. Not rooted in media. 
Not rooted in Fox or CNN. Not rooted in what social media is saying. Not rooted in what popular culture or popular opinion on the internet is saying. Rooted in God's word. We're all going to take all these things in. But what are you rooted in? See, because what you're rooted in determines the condition of the soil of your soul. Jesus talks about that. The condition of the soil of our heart that we're ready to receive. What are you rooted in? You see, we say, oh, I want faith. I like that. Where does that come from? Well, Romans chapter 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes from the word of God. You see, here's our challenge as Americans. We study the word of God for cerebral information. But we don't know how to take and allow that word to be rooted in our life. That when we need to access it as a weapon for the things that we walk through, we don't know how to do it. We have all the information. We have all the technology. We've got it highlighted in our Bible app. We've got the emails that pop up with the scripture of the day. We got all that. That's good. Awesome. But it's not rooted. We got to be rooted in his word. You see, at its simplest form, if you're going to grow in your relationship with God, it's you read the Bible and you do what it says. That's what James said. Don't just hear, but also do. You got to apply it. So that means when I'm looking and I'm reading God's word, and can I tell you, someone in your life at some point is going to offend you. They're going to make you mad. You know what the Bible says? Because here's the thing about the word. It does not make sense sometimes. They're going to offend you and make you mad. You know what the Bible says? Forgive them. Forgive them. I want to smack them. (laughs) Forgive them. Forgive them. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. But God's word says, hey, that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to activate my faith. And I'm going to be rooted in that word. When it comes to, to, to tithing. Giving, that didn't give 10%, tithe 10%, what, really? Like, no, 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 well, the Bible says you'll either worship God or money. So if that means, hey, I'm going to make sure I put God in the right place, this is what his word said. Well, the, even if it just kind of generally you think you can attach to that, I'm going I'm to do it. Why? Because what begins to happen is this, is that I'm going, faith says if God said it, I'll do it. If God said it, I'll do it. But that only comes when I'm rooted in his word. And when I do that, now I recognize that the word is a weapon. Here's the second thing. You begin to challenge negative thoughts and unbelief. Negative thoughts and unbelief. you got to press in on those. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 through 5 says, The weapons that we fight are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You see, the promises of God help us demolish the stronghold that's in our life. Now, what's a stronghold? Well, think of it this way. The word ruminating is a word you use that that simply means uh, it's a cycle, something you go over, 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 and over again. Some of you are familiar in farm life. There are ruminating animals. What does a ruminating animal do? Well, essentially what it does is it has multiple stomachs. So it eats something, it chews it up, it digests it, and then it spits it back up into his mouth, chews it some more, and then swallows it again, and then spits it back up and chews it some more, and then swallows it again. You want to know what a stronghold is? It's something you keep ruminating over. 
over and over and over and over. And as disgusting as it sounds, to choose something, swallow it, spit it back up, choose it. That's what we're doing with the negative thoughts in our life. Over and over and over. you got to challenge those things. you got to push back on those things. Watch what it says, verse 5. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Those things are pushing on who God is and who he says he is in your life. And you keep ruminating over them over and over. And what we do is we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, how do you do that? How do you challenge those thoughts? Can I tell you, you can't pray your way through negative thinking. You need to pray. But all that negative thinking and negative thoughts, you can't pray your way through that. You know what you got to do? Get active. Because if I'm going to take something captive, guess what? I'm going after it. No, 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 no. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. No, 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 no. My God says that he has a promise for me. No, no, he has, he has made me with purpose. My God says that he will establish the work of my hands. What am I doing? I'm taking every thought captive and I'm challenging those negative thoughts. You got to go after it and you got to be active. Here's the third thing. You're careful to watch over your words. You see, there's a clear connection between our hearts and our words. The Bible says, out of the mouth flows the abundance of the heart. If it's in there, it's going to come out. So what are the words that are coming out of your mouth if it's negative, if it's constantly negative and, and it's, 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 it's challenging to God's word? You're going to make it real difficult to trust God and walk in faith. But you say, no, 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 I believe. I trust in him. And so when you begin to trust in him, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that all of his promises are yes and amen. The word amen means I'm in agreement. I grew up in a church when the pastor was preaching really good. Amen, pastor. You You guys are are quick learners. Y'all don't, y'all don't, I mean, I know you kind of agree with me. I just don't know that because I don't hear you say that when, you know. Amen, amen. What is amen? I agree. You see, what happens is out of my mouth, I start going, I agree, God. I agree with what your promises are. I know what the facts say. I see what's going on, but I agree with God. I agree with where I'm going. I agree with what he says. I agree with what he has for me. I agree with his promises. Why? Because I'm building my faith, and it helps me begin to come into agreement with that. In fact, think about how your words, how is that going to impact your marriage. What if you changed and adjusted the language and words that you used at home in your marriage with your kids? Maybe you're a business leader or you own a business or, or maybe you're an employee or a supervisor or whatever it may be. What would change if you adjusted your words? How could that impact that area of life? It's all about what? Strengthening our faith. Here's the last thing. Stay connected to people who regularly take faith steps. I talk about this a lot, I'm going to be honest. And if you're around Milestone any amount of time, we talk about this a lot. Why? Because we see the power of it. When you look at God's word, it's how he established it. 
relational connection. I love talking about like development and like helping people grow and, and, and applying God's word. I probably bend a little more towards like leadership, you know, kind of that coaching type of feel. I like, you know, hey, let's, let's habit stacking. Let's stack the wins, you know, get better physically, emotionally, spiritually, you know, whether you do that in your diet or your exercise or your, your spiritual formations, whatever it may be. I like that, but can I tell you what I like even more? I love talking about divine relationships you see because I want to go with the goers and if you're around people of faith can I tell you it's going to fuel your faith you get around someone who's got a little faith up on them you're like I want some of that where are they going like I can I, can I brush up on you to get, to get some of that on me you know it's like you know you, you, you ain't looking to stay away from them you're like I need a little bit of that in my life you show me your five closest relationships I'll tell you the direction you're going because you're going to move that direction. So if that's the case, then I want to be around people like that. I want to be around people of faith. You know, I'm reminded one of my favorite trees is, is a, a sequoia redwood. I, I like sequoias. I have a sequoia. Now I know before you start thinking, man, I knew that little pastor. He's a big old big timer. It's an O2. Okay, first gen. It's got like 240,000 miles on it. All right. But you know what? It's powerful. And I drive it like it's powerful, okay? But that sequoia was named after the sequoia redwoods. Now, here's a great thing and a unique thing about redwoods, if you know anything about them. They're phenomenal. I mean, they're amazing. I have yet to see them in person, but I will one day. I'm going to take my girls. They can grow up to 375 feet tall. They can weigh as much as 500 tons, and they will live for thousands of years. Now, what's so unique about the redwood is in contrast to their height is their root system. The root system only goes down on average between 6 and 12 feet. So on average, many of their root systems are only 10 foot deep. But here's the unique nature about the redwoods. The redwoods' roots go out and intertwine with other redwoods, seemingly holding each other up, which means only redwoods can hold up other Redwoods, what is your root system connected to? Who are you building with and walking with? I'm, I'm reminded of a story that really inspires and encouraged me. It's Jake and Maddie. Jake and Maddie uh, were just newly married just before COVID. They moved in the McKinney area. Jake grew up in Frisco. Maddie grew up in, in the Tyler, Texas area. And you may have seen them. In fact, they're here today serving and leading uh, our team this morning. Well, they're praying as they move into their first home. They're praying about finding a church and finding a church family and getting connected. And then COVID hits. And guess what they did? They did what much of uh, many of us did, sheltered in place. But kept praying, kept believing for God to open a door and for them to find a way to find a church home. And he shared this with me, and I'm going to read this to you. It says, October 2020, we came for the first time on Vision Weekend and immediately felt like the Lord had called us to make Milestone home. We went all in on taking part and prepare that year. We jumped into 101, 201, and 301 all in a matter of a couple of months and had already begun serving on weekend services. We really saw the bigger picture of not just having a community around us, but being the community. The praise report for us 
was how quickly the Lord provided friends and relationships outside of the friends and family we already had. We saw an immediate change in our heart to be kingdom-minded rather than, we, that rather than what we get from the church, it became what we can give. I said, really? I would say taking a step of faith to engage, not only at the beginning of when we came to Milestone, but continuing to take steps in growing, serving, and learning in each season. We don't want to be comfortable with where we are, but faithful to do what God is calling us to be a part of. Just take steps. I mean, that's it. Just jump all in. Why do we do this? Why are we doing promises? Why do we believe? Because of what happens when you take steps and you begin to walk through the struggle and you build your I mean, that's it right there. I mean, I could let him just, I should just read that and then be done. Let him preach the message. He and Maddie and the way they just, hey, we're going to go on, we're going to take steps. And the truth is, they're just one like many of you. Many of you have done that. And I want to encourage you in this season, keep doing that. Keep, t- we're never too old and too far to grow in our relationship with